welcome to Book Solid. I'm your host, Soraya, and today I'm going to be joined by Jaini from Bookstagram, and we're going to be talking about the book Brown Girls by Daphne Pelosi Andriatis. Spoiler alert! Hey guys, just as a heads up, we will be revealing spoilers in this episode. If you haven't yet read the book or seen the show or film, this is a courteous reminder to proceed with caution. Jaini, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. And before we jump in, do you want to tell people a little bit about your bookstagram and kind of the content you put out and what you read? And stuff? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my bookstagram is Jaini Reads. It's J-A-I-N-N-Y Reads. Um, I started posting there, I think it's about to be two years. I'm on a bit of an unintentional hiatus. Hey, hiatus, hiatus right now um, because of just grad school and work. But I really just try to focus on works by women, particularly Black, Indigenous women of color, um, mostly just because that's what I'm interested in. Like, I don't really have time for the white male canon. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's really, <laughs> really what I focus on. And it's been so cool to get to know people through there and just like dive in to my love of reading during the pandemic again, after I had lost it. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a fun space if you want to check it out. Yeah. It, and I'll link it all in the show notes so everyone can find you easily. And yeah, absolutely. Like book, book solid is a pandemic baby. So it was definitely like having a bunch of unprecedented time on my hands, like getting to read for, for leisure again. Like I feel like through college, I read like four books for leisure and that Literally. was it. And so it was like, it was really nice to, this keeps me accountable to my hobby and not letting it fall to the wayside again. So it's, it's nice. And okay. So for our book, we chose Brown Girls and it was so good. It was, <laughs> it was so, so good. good. Like before I go on and on, I'll let you kind of get your thoughts out there first. Yeah. Well, I guess just like starting out, I so I listened to it as an audiobook um because busy, but I really wanted to like get it, you know what I mean? Um so I was really surprised by the format because I think people had like talked about it on Bookstagram, but it hadn't really clicked with me that it was more like poems, I guess. Um, at least that's what it sounded like. Um, so as I was going through it, I was like, oh, this is actually a lot more digestible than I thought it would be. Um, and it was so interesting because I was thinking about it today and it's almost like an episode of Euphoria <laughs> when you think about it, that like it doesn't so much like, yes, it focuses on like experiences, but I think they more so like convey a feeling like every poem, every chapter, every part of the book conveys a feeling that is at least I thought was something so specific. Right. But also loved to see that it is a shared experience and it is a shared feeling. Um, so I loved it. Yeah, it, it was a lot, a lot different than I thought as well. I was thinking like a full on novel, like overlapping characters type thing. Um, like each chapter is from a different perspective or something like that, like three or four main characters. But yeah, the way that she, Oh, really quick. I wanted to ask, did Daphne narrate the audiobook herself? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Um, I don't like, cause it feels the book is so 
personal that it almost feels like a memoir and like I know people usually read memoirs themselves but I guess you know it is technically a work of fiction but that's how just real and relatable it feels and it like I wrote in my notes like her words it just felt like being seen and being understood and just the relatability and I love the way that there wasn't um because like I know you said it's kind of like poetry and I think someone like they're kind of like a novel in verse I guess is mm-hmm. what Yes, that's the exact it. term. Yes. And like the fact that there isn't a main character, like she cycles through names, so many different names. And it's like, it truly lets you see yourself in this story. Like it was mm-hmm. just, it's written so beautifully. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like similar to what I was saying that like, you think it's this one very particular experience, but actually it's not like she's talking about all these different brown girls who you know they happen to be from queens and they happen to have some shared experiences of like being immigrants or being the child of immigrants or whatever it may be but I don't, it's like it's fascinating like I had started listening to it again and I'll, I'll probably finish it again because it's just there's so much content there that you, there's no way or at least for me like there was no way I was gonna get all of it the first time around. Yeah, like it feels like with each read, you will take something new from it. Yeah. And the feet or the like the fact that she was able to do this in so few pages, I think it's like 205 pages total. Yeah. And it follows these like I put characters in quotes throughout the course of their entire lives. And they're so complex and just the things they go through and the things they feel. Like I have been that girl. Like I am that girl, you know? Mm-hmm. And so uh, it just the yeah like the fact that she could do it with so few pages I'm like my god like if this had been a traditional like 350 page book <laughs> I can only imagine and this being her debut on top of it all is just kind of incredible to me and I just I kind of I guess we want to just start diving into like pieces of the book that we liked because with something like this I feel like that's really the best way for us to go about to go about it is just like picking out the things that really stood out to us. Um, I know I have a few. Do you have any that like come to mind? Yeah. So um, like I mentioned, I had started reading it again and towards the beginning when she actually describes Brown girls, like she says, you know, we're like this shade and we're that shade. And, you know, we may be, well, first it was interesting. You can tell this is written by a woman of color because she doesn't like, um, describe brown girls with like food, um, <laughs> and I don't know, like it just her felt cinnamon very, skin, <laughs> right? Or like her ch- hot chocolate, whatever you know, like something weird like that. Um, so but it just felt like it just it honestly it makes you feel beautiful and it makes you feel seen, even if you. Well, I guess, like, I'll get into, like, a personal anecdote here. Like, I am very fair-skinned, I think. I have been told I'm very fair-skinned, even for, like, my family, um, by other people. So I've always really struggled with this idea of, like, am I a brown girl? Like, I'm definitely Puerto Rican. I don't think anyone would look at me and be like, that's, like, an Anglo-Saxon, you know? (laughs) Like, I don't think anyone would think my ancestors, like, came on the Mayflower or whatever. Um, but it's hard when also you like, you just don't know how you're racialized within 
the context of the United States. But she does mention like some of us may be super light skinned, but we are still brown girls because of our experience. It's that like, yes, racialization in the United States like matters. (laughs) And at the same time, um, it's our experience that kind of like binds us because as I was reading the book, like I'm not from New York. I was born in New York, but like not the city um, or like have really no connection to New York City at all. But I was like, I get this, you know? Yeah, no, same thing. Like, I'm born and raised in California. I still live in in Southern California. And but it it felt like reading about my own life or reading about my family and like things we've gone through. And I, I wrote that in my notes, too. Like, I was like, the book was beautiful and painful and special. And it was so validating just because like, I know that like you said, like all brown girls, like we're all going through these things or have gone through these specific experiences that she mentions throughout the book and just seeing it talked about in this way, it was just, it it almost makes me kind of emotional, honestly, like just, yeah, it was, it really, it was very, it, it was touching. And, um, so I wanted to talk about like a few things that really stuck out to me. There was a line um, when she was talking about how they, these girls are trying to chase opportunities that weren't afforded to their parents or to their mom specifically. I think she mentions a few times or, you know, just things that people of above her generation weren't able to do. And it's like this weird double-edged sword because on the one hand, that's what her their parents are telling them. Like, I came here to create, to allow you to have opportunities that I didn't have. But then on the same note, within her, her own family, she's hearing from a lot of people about, oh, you think you're better than us because you're going to this fancy school or because you're doing this or you're doing that. And it was just, it's so perplexing to me because that is something that, you know, I, I've seen in my own life. And it's so, like, interesting to me how or why that happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's super... I love that you mentioned that because I talk about that so much with my friends, um, especially with my partner, because it's like, it's this weird, like guilt trip, essentially, like, Mm -hmm. I sacrificed X, Y, and Z for you. So you could have these other options, but you have to pick this one option because this is, yeah, like the options are like what they want for you. Like there's not as much freedom as it's kind of presented it like there, yeah there's no, yeah there's not as much freedom in the decision as everyone tries to act like yes is. exactly and I think uh, it's essentially just us buying into the white supremacist American dream <laughs> like I was I was just about to say, is that us chasing quote-unquote the American dream like the land of opportunity mm-hmm. but is it really? <laughs> yeah. And that's like, that's the interesting part, right? Because it's like, well, I guess I'll give, I'll give another personal anecdote. Like my partner, he, um, all of his degrees are like in the medical field and he's had like military experience in the medical field, which like also an immigrant in the military, like the U S military, like that's a whole other can of worms. Mm-hmm. Right. But you know, he was, he always thought like, okay, my only option is med school or PA school or something like that. And he had finally settled on chiropractic school, but then we did the math and he would have ended up being like over a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And we were like, what, what dream is that? 
Like, <laughs> how does that set us up for success in any type of way on an individual level, on a familial level, on like a relationship level? Like it doesn't. Right. Yeah. So what what is the dream? Like these weird fancy titles that at the end of the day, when someone sees a brown person in a white coat, they're still not going to respect them. Yeah, it's like who's who's like what are you trying to prove and who for I guess or who are you making mm. these decisions for ultimately like exactly there was um oh gosh another chapter that uh, they were sitting in their AP English class and honors classes and she was talking about how like the books that they have to read that none of the characters she said we don't look like anybody in these books and nobody looks like us. And that, yet again, is something that hit really deeply and something like you can't even explain to people who they haven't experienced it firsthand. Like I had a friend who genuinely did not understand why representation mattered. We were, this was a few years ago, maybe five or six, and we were talking about a movie, I cannot remember which one, and we were talking about like the complete and utter lack of diversity in the film. And he was like, well, like, but just like, why does it matter though? And I knew in that moment, I, I'll never be able to explain it sufficiently for him. Because if, if you have the privilege to be able to ask a question like, well, why does it even matter? You're just not going to get it. And <laughs> it's just, yeah, it was one of those things that's always stuck with me because it was kind of unfathomable <laughs> that someone could ask that question. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because I remember one time in my AP history class, um, my professor or not my professor, she was my teacher. Now she's a doctor anyway. Um, (laughs) So she was like, you know, like it's very unusual and very unfair that there's like only three people of color in this classroom. And at that point it was just me, one other Latina and one black woman or black girl, because we were like 16. Um, And I was just like, well, it doesn't matter. Because, you know, I can look up to these other people and these other experiences. And like, I guess I just didn't have, I guess I had the privilege to not have to think about it that deeply. And I had bought into this idea of white supremacy that like, I was one of the good ones. And these other people were one of the good ones. And that's why we were in this class and these other people weren't, which is so not true because there were so many people who weren't in that class who probably deserved my seat more than I did. And they just didn't have the opportunity or maybe the support to be in that classroom or they were seen in a different way, like perceived in a different way by teachers, whatever it may be. And it's so like, it sucks to look back and be like, Oh, I also perpetuated this. It's so I, like, it, there's so much unlearning that I feel like I've had to do in my adulthood because you do feel like, Oh, if I can, it's, it's kind of this realization of like, Oh, if I behave a certain way, like, even though I'm a brown girl, if I do this and do this and do this, like maybe I can get people to see me differently and to not profile me or apply you know whatever prejudice they have toward me like that's the idea you have as like a kid and it's kind of what's reaffirmed by society and like I had I went through like a similar situation too like I remember in high school when I would give presentations my teachers would always be like oh you um 
Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the. Hold on, let me try to remember the specific. Word. Was it like you're? You spoke so eloquently. Thank you. Or- yes. Yeah. It was always because I was thinking eloquent, but there was another word I can't remember now. Of course, I'm blanking, but we'll go with eloquent because it's synonymous with the word I can't think of. But yeah, they would be like, oh, you, you're so eloquent. You're so professional. You're so this. And like, I ate that up because I was like, oh, you know, I'm really like changing the way they look at me or they think I'm, I'm good or whatever kind of ridiculousness that I was feeding into at the time, whatever validation I was seeking from them. And like you said, getting older and looking back and listen, that is not a compliment. You know, that's not I, I had a friend when I was uh, in middle school. Um, tell me like, oh, my parents are kind of racist, but they like you and your family because you're different. And I'm like, I was 11. And in my head as an 11 year old, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm doing something right if that means they like me and we're different. But that's a horrendous thing to say to somebody. And, you know, just not having the maturity at the time to realize the damage that that was doing and how I should have ran from that friend as fast as I possibly could. Yeah. And it reminds me of the chapter in the book where, um like the narrator starts dating a white guy Mm -hmm. and she's like sitting having dinner with his family or whatever and they're like well what do you think about like nafta or what do you think about like why is it so bad that they're trying to build a wall at the border like aren't you mad or aren't isn't your family mad that like all these illegal immigrants are coming over the border when they could have just done it the right way like your family did and the you, like we see the narrator just kind of be like yeah you know sure <laughs> i think mostly just to get past like the uncomfortable moment but then we also see them have the thought like whoa actually like some of my family is undocumented some of my family had no other choice um so it's so it, exactly like you were saying like it's all this unlearning that we have to do and it can be so i don't like I don't know, like a heaviness, like a guilt and almost like an embarrassment when you think back and you're like, why did I think that way? Why did I say that? Why did I allow that? But it's like, what was your other option? And, and that's the thing too. I feel like there's, it feels like every day is a battle in the sense that like, when you're the only brown person in a, in a white space and you constantly have to be like, all right, you know, somebody just said something that they shouldn't have. And you have this mental game of like, okay, do I say something? And then it's also like, it's not my place to educate people. But then if I don't say anything, it seems like I'm complicit. And then like, you have that whole thing going on in your head in the span of like the 2.5 seconds it takes to formulate a response. And it is exhausting sometimes to feel like you always have to tell people like, this is why you shouldn't say that. No, this is why I'm upset about this. Or this is how I feel about that. Like, I don't want to have to walk around teaching people all the time. But then, like you said, that guilt of there's so many instances where I look back and like, I should have just said something. I should have just spoken up because, you know, someone said this to me and now I let it slide and they're going to think I'm okay with that going forward or that was an opportunity to maybe correct someone so that it doesn't continue to happen. Like it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it also comes with like, am I in a place where it is safe to do that? Mm -hmm. Like, does this come at the cost of my, obviously it comes at a cost of like your mental well being because as you were saying, like (laughs) you, you have like these 15 thoughts running in your head and like, two seconds but could it eventually come at a cost of your physical well-being 
or your like job or your place in a classroom. Like I have gotten my bachelor's and master's degree from the same primarily white institution. And I also work there. So it's like, I think I'm in a place where I've gained enough respect and built enough rapport that I can be that person in the room who's like, "Mm, actually, we don't say that. Or actually, this is best practice or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it may be. But, you know, when I first got there in 2015, right before the 2016 election, like that wasn't, that wasn't an option. Yeah. And yeah, you, and you never know too, like, like how people, it's always like you say, when you do choose to say something, there's always this moment of like holding your breath, waiting for how they're going to react. Cause people react like, I feel like there's five, like a handful of ways people will react. They're going to say something like, Oh, it was just a joke. I was just kidding. It's not that serious. Or like profusely apologize and then make it like even more tense. And weird. like, it just, there's, there's, you never know how people are going to take things. Some people get angry because if you so much as like hint that someone said something that may have been racist, like some people get very triggered by that word. Um, Indy and I talked about that in a different episode of the podcast. Like people hear the word racist and absolutely lose it. Like they could not possibly ever be associated with any kind of racist remark. Like they, they can't. Yeah. I found that that word can be very triggering for people. So it's like a, hold your breath and see how this is going to go every single time. Yeah. And it's so uncomfortable. It's literally the worst. It's the actual (laughs) worst. It is. Yes. And you sit there like, why, why me? Like, why does it have to be me? Why does it have to be people who look like me? Why do like, why do we have to share these experiences that for whatever reason, put some sort of target on our back? And then, and that leads me into like another point in the book that I felt was, I'm glad was brought up because I wanted to discuss like, this idea that one person from like any ethnic group speaks on behalf of everyone in that group. So having people say something and then they turn to you and they're like, well, actually, how do you feel about that? Like I had a professor in college, uh, it was one of my marketing classes and she was talking about buying habits by demographic. And Mm -hmm. she read out some statistic about black consumers and their preferences. And I was the only black person in the class. And she turns to me and she's like, well, how do you feel about that? Like, do you think that's correct? Do you think that's accurate? And I'm just sitting here like, so like embarrassed, but then I'm mad that I'm embarrassed because I have no reason to be embarrassed. Like I didn't do anything. And for her to think I like speak on behalf of all black, it was, it was just so unbelievably ignorant. And so the entire class is just staring at me and and like that's not even that's just an instance of that that kind of thing has been happening my oh my gosh in elementary school anytime we'd talk about slavery they would ask are you okay are you comfortable I'm like i don't get to opt out of my blackness i'm black every single day all the time so like you trying to act like you're going out of your way to be so cur- cur- courteous like is it okay if we talk about this like yeah i'm black like i'm always going to be black i have always been black that is a like unfortunately a part of black history in this country like you don't have to go out of your way to make sure i'm comfortable talking about slavery i'm very well aware of its existence and the effects because that's my lived experience every day you know yeah and it's also this really weird thing where like you said this happened in elementary school the slavery one did and then the other one was in college (laughs) okay well it's like why would a grown adult who (laughs) at least at minimum has a bachelor's degree. Like you have to have a bachelor's degree to teach 
at whatever grade level. Why would they put that on the child? To be like a twelve year old, okay? <laughs> or I guess it was yeah, middle school. Sorry, so I was twelve. Well, still, yeah. you're a literal child. So, like, what if you had said no? Would they have just not taught the slavery <laughs> unit? Like, what? That makes no sense. It makes no sense because then, let's say they hadn't taught it, right? Which would like never happen. But let's say they did it. Everyone would know. Oh, it's because Soraya said she wasn't okay with it. Yeah, or she was like, "Do you want to step outside and like would that make you more like comfortable if you need to leave the room?" And it just <sighs> segregating the classroom would make you more comfortable. Yeah, I'm like thank you so so much. Oh gosh, and like in her eyes, she really thought she was doing something helpful. You know what I mean? Like she thought, <laughs> right. that, like let me make this little girl more comfortable. It, it, oh gosh, yeah. So I was just glad that um, <laughs> she talked about that in the book because, gosh, yeah, it's the worst feeling because it's also like um, I did not come up with what I'm about to say, and I just can't remember where I got it from. Um, but anyway, it's like white and we already know this right that like white people are like the default people mm-hmm. <laughs> so they get to just be their individual selves whereas black people indigenous people any type of like racialized body doesn't just get to be their individual selves they get to be they have to be they are forced to be this like single identity which is so weird and like so uncomfortable because at the end of the day, it's just denying these people their humanity. They just, they have to be the singular thing that fits their narrative or like whatever conversation they're having. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really unfair. Like, I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because it is like, I see people all the time doing things where I'm like, when I'm in public or like around people, I feel like I'm policing my actions so much so as not to disrupt or take up too much space or behave in a way that's going to, you know, cause issue. But I do get to see like my white peers do really whatever, do and behave in any way they want. And no one's going to be like, oh, they're acting like this because they're white. They're doing this because they're white. Like there's just a freedom. Like I I think Andy and I talked about this in a different episode of like, I saw like this group of white girls in a car once, like a convertible blasting um, Bodak yellow, just singing their lungs out, whatever. Love that for you. Have fun. Great time. But like, I could not do that with my friends without fearing some kind of, hostile reaction from people solely based on our race like that's what i'm talking about like the freedom to just be yeah and it's interesting what you said about like there's a particular type of freedom that comes with whiteness because i feel like that's a theme that really runs through this book like what does it mean to free yourself from all of these expectations whether they're coming from your culture your family um like your culture, like the one you live in, like the United States culture or um, the culture your parents brought with them. And it's like, I don't know. I, that like that part was really impactful to me because the freedom also, this idea of freedom looks so different for every, every character in the book. Like some of, for some of them, freedom meant yes, like going to med school. That's something they wanted for themselves. For others, it meant switching from some sort of pre-med degree to an art degree Mm -hmm. and yeah I don't know like it's just so 
I don't know if there's like a powerful enough word. It's complicated. <laughs> yes, yes, it's complicated. And also, I guess it like the word isn't discouraging, but like to see all the hoops we have to jump through just to exist in a way that is fulfilling to us. Like, at what expense does that come? Yeah, and it was, I got so excited. I'm like, I have to jump on. Because, like, to see that mirrored, to see the reactions from their family for them choosing, you know, more creative or artistic careers as opposed to the ones that their families had mapped out for them. Like, that is, I went, and I'm still kind of going through that. I went into college studying to be a doctor and changed my major to a more creative career path. And I'm still dealing with, um, resentment from certain people in my family for making that choice. But I made the choice because I knew it was what was going to make me happy. I like lasted like a year in my um, kinesiology major. That's what I was because I was going to do orthopedic surgery. Um, and I was like, I'm miserable. I'm. This is not going to be fulfilling for me. And I know personally it was the best decision I could have made for myself. But yeah, like you said, like it's it's complicated because on the one hand I am releasing myself from the obligations of what was expected of me but then what comes with that is this huge amount of guilt of making a choice that you know is not everyone in my life is pleased with like it's not are you ever really free like I'm free from that one obligation but now I'm like tied to the guilt you know yeah yeah and I I talked a little bit about that in my notes that like I think when we experience that like pressure and guilt from other people, especially like our parents or like close family members. I think it has, and this is not to like talk badly about them and how they feel, but I feel I've always thought it comes from a place of such emotional immaturity that it's so much easier for them to just express anger or resentment or contempt instead of just saying, and just being vulnerable and being honest. And maybe like I had a similar experience to you where um, first I wanted to be a psychiatrist, which if you know me immediately know. Um, <laughs> and then I switched to um, political science, which I did get my degree in um, thinking that I was going to go to law school. And it's always been my mom's dream for her to be a lawyer. So it took me a long time to be like, do I actually want mm-hmm. to be a lawyer or do I just want to like fulfill what my mom wanted for herself through me? And I'm obviously not a lawyer. I work at a university and I mean, my mom doesn't really care, you know, like she still hopes that I will go to law school one day, but she's not just like hounding me about it, but it is so much easier for her to be like, oh no, I wish you had done this or to be upset in some kind of way instead of because she doesn't have the resources to like do the work and be like, the reason why I'm upset is because this is something I wanted for myself and for whatever reason couldn't obtain. So I was living vicariously through my oldest child. And when that didn't happen, it was like the same type of disappointment. It was like reliving the original disappointment. Yes. It's like full circle to what you were saying before of like wanting, they want us to have the opportunities they didn't have, but it runs so much deeper than I want them to have the opportunities I didn't have in the sense that they have the luxury to 
decide what they want to do instead of having to do something to survive. And it, it just like runs so deeply to like what me wanting them to have these opportunities is me wanting them to do exactly what I wish I could have done instead of allowing them to kind of be their own independent people and take what I've given them and then make their own life from that, make their own choices from that. Yeah. Yeah. And this also, as you were talking, I was thinking of this and it's like, I think in a lot of ways (laughs) as black and brown people, as immigrants, we were fed this like very insidious lie of again, white supremacy and the American dream. And I, I think one of the most detrimental parts of that is thinking that just because you are somewhere new, that things are suddenly completely different and that there's no work that goes into that. So it's really, again, as you were talking, I'm thinking like, okay, so, you know, like our parents had these experiences and they wanted better for us. And is it even realistic to think that something would change something so drastic as like, generations and generations of habits and trauma and all of this would just randomly stop because you're in a new country or because you're in a new city or whatever it may be. And no, I don't think it is. And at the same time, it's so interesting, even like just, I don't know your parents, but I know my parents. Um, And I, I love them. I think they're genuinely intelligent people. And at the same time, I don't think they could sit down and have this type of conversation. So thinking like we can have this type of conversation, you and I, and what, what are the implications of that for if we were to have children, what would they be like? Like they would have so like exponentially more resources than our parents did or our grandparents did. Or, you know, like I work in education, even if I don't have children, like I'm still interacting with like younger people every day. It's like, there are so, uh, it sucks because I hate to be like, I suffered so someone else could have better. Um, Actually, I have a 16 year old sister and I catch myself like in that pattern sometimes. I also have Um, a 16 year old brother and I have the same (laughs) line of thinking. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And it's so it's so weird and I think it can be detrimental. And at the same time, I think when you can look at it, not so much from a like martyrdom type of lens, but more a, you know, I have these lessons and I want to pass them on to you in a way that is less harmful. Like that's, that's powerful. That is like breaking those generational curses which I think has like with all the like Instagram memes I think that's kind of lost its meaning but I mean that in the so real yeah yes exactly like I mean it in its most literal sense like we have the knowledge and the ability to know better and do better in like early enough that it's not like us rectifying mistakes it's simply not making them yes yeah that's been something that has been really refreshing to see I feel like I've noticed just a lot of people in my personal life or just 
hearing about and seeing about people of our age group kind of doing the work to really <laughs> unpack all of this, like all, you know, all the things we've experienced, the, what we've gone through in our lives. And it seems like a lot of us are very conscious about this and are choosing to put in quotes, break the cycle, like not passing this on to somebody else for them to have to then figure out, like, it's kind of been this like reckoning with the trauma of our collective past. And I think that's really exciting. And it's, I know like my own post personal journey with it has been very, it's hard, but it's, I'm grateful that I have the ability to even be able to work on it, to even be able to see it, to, you know, like it's made such a huge difference in my life. Like just being more aware of like why I am the way I am or why things are the way they are in my life or with my family. Like it's just, it's, it makes me hopeful going forward for the next generation, the ones after that, like it does, it really does. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think that's the perfect word. Like hope is, that's it. That's like all we need (laughs) sometimes. And it's so interesting that like the ability to think more critically and deeply about these experiences, like that can be what our parents sacrificed so much for. It doesn't have to be this like, you know, buying into the Protestant work ethic and buying into um, your worth is only based off of the type of job you have. Like your worth can be based off of Mm -hmm. how you interact in community and how you treat other people and how you treat yourself. Like, I think that can be, that can have longer lasting effects than, knowing your kid is a doctor. Like I'd rather know my kid is a good person and a kind person and a thoughtful person. This, (laughs) yeah, it's, yeah. And, and I feel like, again, that just goes full circle to what we were talking about before, like with not faulting my parents because, or our parents or people's parents in general, like, you know, it's like, that's the, that's the conversation that's going around on right now is people talking about their parents and what they've been through. And, understanding I think we kind of did mention this so that they may not have had the like time is a luxury it really is and when you don't have time like you can't there's so much you can't do and so like this personal work that we're talking about and reflecting on our lives and how we can be better and you know what our choices mean and all of these things the conversation that we're having right now even like that is because we have the time to sit down and do this and you know that may not necessarily have been the case for mm-hmm. our parents or their parents and so i i mean yeah it's just like you said not faulting them there was something i kind of wanted to talk about there um she was talking about everything that she's accomplished and how people always tie it to the fact that she's a woman of color and saying like, mm. how does it feel to have accomplished so much as a woman of color? Like always kind of falling back to that. And she said like, we gain recognition for our work. How does it feel to have achieved so much as a woman of color? What does your community think of your work? Are you a hero, villain, savior? Um, what are your takes on racism and immigration? And we're, she said, nobody asks about the work itself. We're so visible, we have become invisible. Odd that in the moment we dreamt of, we are faceless. 
Mm. And I just loved that because it, it is true. Like, I think that goes back to our conversation about freedom of like when you're white, like you get the being able to just be like, if she's, if she's, if we're going off of the example she's giving in the book of like, you know, an article that she wrote that took off and got really popular, popular or a book or whatever, no one's going to ask a white author, like, how does your community feel about this? Or what are your takes on, you know, X issues facing this community? It's simply going to be about the work itself. You know, what mm-hmm. contributed to you writing this or, you know, what are fields are you interested in or what can we expect from you next just getting to really dive into the work itself that you created but in what she's talking about like everything going back to having to speak for your entire community or mm-hmm. having to make these statements about things like again like we don't always want to be in the position of educator it's not my job to educate everybody read a book read an article like figure do the work for yourself and so I just really enjoyed that she kind of put that in there in that chapter yeah and I think it also speaks to this other level of ignorance of not understanding like that the the work and the experience very often are not separate that you can ask questions about the work and it is likely someone will speak to you about their experience it doesn't have to only be like you know like what experience in your community like led you to write about this like it can just be what led you to write about this and maybe it'll come and it's it's this weird oh it's just like constantly asking women of color particularly black women for more labor all the time all the time like you said google is literally free read a book library cards are free like so many things it's like if you have the time to come up with these ridiculous questions you have the time to look it up figure it out yeah and I get like there's you know I've had one-on-one conversations with friends or people in my life who like genuinely like they just want to talk and like try to understand or like there's certain instances where I really don't mind because Mm -hmm. like it feels good sometimes to unload all of this stuff and talk about like the things that I've learned to just kind of take and bury and or accept that this is just something I'm going to have to deal with as a brown girl in America. You know, it Mm -hmm. feels good to get that off of my chest and try to get people to really understand, but I don't always feel like doing that, you Mm -hmm. know? And oftentimes I feel like with like what she was talking about in the book, those questions, they're not really trying to understand. It's buzzwords. They want to act like they're woke or act like they're, you know, hitting all the marks for things that they think they need to say or ask about, but there's no genuine interest there or you know you can just tell um the intent that someone has in a situation like that and I just feel like a lot of times it's it's pretty disingenuous yeah it's just more exploitation that's all it is yeah exactly exactly like I loved how complex this book was and how it was very obviously written for a particular group of people I think um, I recently read, oh, wow, what was the name of that book? It was so good. Oh, it was called For Brown Girls, actually. Um, by, oh, that's on my list. Oh, okay, it's yeah. so good. So good. Um, yeah, it was like For Brown Girls, a uh, letter for women with like sharp like edges and cover. tender hearts. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. incredible, incredible, incredible. Um, and in it, Briska, the author, she talks about how like 
she is writing this book for brown girls. Like she, when she writes in Spanish, like she doesn't italicize it. She's like, this is part of the content of the book and it is just as important as everything else. Um, And I think that sentiment really was at the forefront of this brown girls. Um, Like it wasn't, I, I loved that it wasn't explaining an experience. It was simply talking about it. And if you got it, you got it. And if you didn't, the book just wasn't for you. And isn't that like, there's a beauty in that too, because I mean, yes, the publishing industry is trying to be better, but I mean, for so long, like we have had to, and we still do have to accept so much media that I'm like, this is just not meant for me. Mm-hmm. In fact, there was so it was few and far between that I could ever find something that was meant for me or that I could see myself in. And so it's like, I, I've seen, you know, I've seen that discourse when there are some people online who are like, well, you know, I'm white and they changed the character in this movie to be black and I was looking forward to it. And now I can't relate to it. And it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, go watch one of the billion and one other movies that are tailored exactly for you that you can see yourself in. And I'll go back to like my one of 20. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's like, it's just this line of thinking because you're right. It's always people like non-white people have always been othered. So it's like with white is the baseline. Um, I feel like people are trying, like they can't possibly fathom that there can be things created that are not for them. Yes. Yes. And it also has this like, and I think I talked about this at the beginning, like just this beautiful element of taking an experience you thought was so specific to you and making you feel seen in that experience. Like, no, this doesn't just happen to you. And also it's messed up that it did happen to you. Yes. Yeah. Like, like I'm not the only one who feels this way. I'm not the only one who's gone through this. And like, yeah, some of those scenes where it was like all of the girls together, like when they were catching up, after college or wherever and they're just like all relaying the stuff that's been going on with them and going back and forth because like I've had those conversations with my friends too like oh my god can you believe like this person said this to me like isn't and like it's it's like funny because we joke about it but it's it's not funny <laughs> like when you really boil it down it's, it's you're right like it's not funny it's really messed up but I feel like that's often like the way we kind of cope with that stuff because like if I did not find a way to like somehow let some of this stuff bounce off me like I would never be able to function it would take up all my time and energy oh so thank you again so much for taking the time to join I was worried this was going to be like a mini episode just because the book was so short but this is we're well over time here yeah no there was tons of good topics to delve into so this was super fun thank you so much for having me 